Welcome to Speaks London Words, episode 25. As always, I'm your host, Dave Reed. Our guests in this episode are recent Warner Chapel signings, Red Triangle, otherwise known as George and Richard. These guys have been writing and producing for a while now, and have been working with the lovable rogues, Connor Maynard, Scouting for Girls, Little Mix, and friends of the podcast, Bully and Ed Druitt. Remember, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash UK, on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Music, and on our Twitter at Warner underscore Chapel. And don't forget, Chapel is spelled C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L. So Red Triangle, thank you very much for taking the hot seat and answering our questions and, uh, well, just being here and just being you guys. You're very welcome. How's your day been? Day's been good. Uh, what have we done? We got a Nando's? No, yeah, kick it off with Nando's. Squeeze Nando's. a few meetings in between yeah. eating and drinking. Go back to Nando's in a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a good day. We don't get up to London a lot. We're from down in Dorset, so uh, our management like to keep us in the studio working sure. hard. Yeah. Um, and so today we've come up, tried to pack in as much as possible. And your lovely Jane Bell forced us to do this. Oh, and, uh, she did, did she? Yeah. We'll have, we'll have words with her, but we appreciate her. And you're filming awesome. it as well. We got told we've got, we got faces for radio, not <laughs> for films. Yeah, definitely. Faces for the studio. <laughs> <laughs> How do you manage working in Dorset with the production side when a lot of artists are um, here in London and, and I guess in other cities? It's, yeah, it's, it can be difficult. I think... Your work speaks for itself, so no one ever comes to visit us. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> um, I think the thing we find is that we, although we're out of London, we're in a beautiful place. You know, mm. we're on the beach. So once people come out and they see where we are, they, you know, they fall for it. And if we do good work with them, they're going to come back. Um, people fly to LA and Sweden and do all that. So there's no reason why they can't get That's on a train for an hour and fifteen minutes outside of London. And I think from a, like a really practical point of view, um, you know, we've got a massive amount of space down there. You know, it's a it's a huge barn. We've got a big live room. You know, we could record a you can record a whole band if we need to. We never do, but you know, we could. Um, and <laughs> it's nice to be able to to do that just in house to keep everything in house and not have to go anywhere else to to work. So that's that's a plus. Hmm. What about St Dorset? Are you guys? We are between Bournemouth and Southampton, um, nearest stations, a place called New Milton, which is a, are we allowed to swear? It's a shithole, <laughs> but, um, but we love it. And yeah, we have this place which is literally five minutes from the beach, so we can go and write lyrics at the beach if we really want That's to. Nice. Yeah. Or um, we never do, but we could. <laughs> we, we, tell, we tell people and we draw them in yeah. you know, come to the beach and write there it's a nice idea yeah. we bought a barbecue this year so that we, can, we cook everything on a barbecue so it's, it's pretty much like a holiday mm. um, yeah. for anyone who comes down and it's you, really nice are you both born and raised in that area as well? yes um, well you, I don't know where you were born close enough close enough so I don't have six fingers though so oh, oh, oh. I pretty much do <laughs> <laughs> toes um, but yeah lived in place called Burley which is in the middle of the New Forest like if you had a map of the New Forest we're bang smack in the middle of it mm. so used to growing up around horses yeah. shit scared of horses really um, and yeah you were Cranbourne which is deepest Dorset so I've heard of Cranbourne yeah, yeah. they yeah. taught it like this in Dorset yeah. it's good do you, any of you know Yeovil 
No. I'm aware of it. No, yeah. of Yeovil, yes. I come from Yeovil. Do you? Yeah, serious, yeah. You don't have the accent, though. No, I, my mum and dad born and raised in London. I think I, think I, I swipe past the Somerset accent because of them. So. I can hear it now, though, now oh. you're saying it. You get a little hint. You'll hear, it, you'll hear it as we go through, I'm sure. Well, you'll feel comfortable around us, and then yeah. you'll slip into it every now and then. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you know, I was at a wedding last year, and we were driving through the New Forest, and this was at midnight after the wedding, and uh, all of a sudden we came up to these, these what I thought were rocks in the road, these huge boulders, and I realised there were sheep just sleeping in the road. I couldn't believe it. I could have just easily ploughed through these things if <laughs> I was a bit of sleep, you know. That's but, it. Uh, yeah, that's, I guess I've that's never it. seen a sheep sleep. you serious? Yeah, there was just like a whole flock, is that what you call them? Yeah. Uh, it is no. What what is it? Are you kind of like that? A flock of birds. Flock of I don't know what it is. is Herd of sheep. I don't know. What do shepherds do? Shepherds wash their flocks. Yeah, there you go. You're in. <laughs> well I'm glad we established that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's well so you kind of that in that far in the sticks kind of thing. We we are still. I mean, we're a lot less than we used to. We used to be an hour and a half to Bournemouth on a train, and then 45 minutes into the middle of the forest to his parents house where we worked out of a basement studio um, for a long time and that was interesting when you've got especially female top liners and they jump in a car. It used to frighten them. They'd be like, (laughs) are you going to pull over into some deserted lane and murder me now? That's a good reason to move. And now we're we're much safer. I hear you're quite close to the station. We are, Yeah. yeah. Five pounds in a taxi for anyone who's wondering about it. And we'll pay for it as well if you have a reservation. <laughs> there about you go. Off us out. Yeah. We'll pick up the tab. So yeah, it's good. It's good. I mean, it's it's tough because a lot of it happens in London, but you know, we love where we live. We we're on the beach every day, even in the winter. So you know, that's the sacrifice that we make. Yeah. So how did you guys start working together? When did when did that start? Uh, three years ago. Three years ago. We've known each other for a long time. Um, through how did through music? So Rick played session guitar on my first EP when I was an artist. It's bizarre the way these things were, yeah. Um, and he was in a band. He was in a really good band, quite a successful band in in your circles. I was in a uh, act that was successful in my local pub, and that was it. <laughs> um, and then about three years ago. Uh, I wanted some mixes done. Rick's an unbelievable mix engineer, really good mix engineer. And I didn't know it, but Rick was looking for um, a property to open a studio in, and my family history's in property. So we both decided we were going to meet up, uh, both had separate agendas, what we wanted from the other one for free, and got drunk and ended up deciding to go going into business together. To be fair, I got the best deal because I got a barn and you got some rotten mixes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they didn't do anything. They only charged me right. But joking aside, we um <laughs> what we found um quite fortuitously because we'd never really planned it like that was that we had a really good partnership when we first started to write a song together and that was um that's the start of all of this because I I I'd never really thought of writing songs for other people. You know, when you're an artist, you want to write your own songs, and so you've got this sort of set idea about what kind of music you want to make, what kind of style you want to write in. And um, discovering that we could write together and uh, also, um, you know, 
discovering the world of writing for other people and making music um, that was you know every every day was different was that that was a massive thing for both of us and uh, and good. I think we needed it as well because I think we were both okay writers by ourselves, but we help, we we're now above average, just above average writers together, and it's sort of you know we we both bring a slightly different skill set to the art, and so that really helps, you know, when you're trying to write a song. Do you find that you kind of help each other with your strengths and weaknesses? Maybe with, maybe you don't realise it, but you just see something in each other. And yeah, I think it's got to the point now where I don't, I don't trust anything I do unless Rick's there or he's said something or, you know, trying to be in a session with that was really difficult because you're like, hmm, is that any good? Whereas when you're sort of, you know, sat there next to someone the whole time, they're constantly going yes or no. Or, I hate that. Don't like that. Leave the room. I think it's like I I think having a, a a sort of partner in crime in music is like one of the most important things. It certainly has been for me uh, uh, because it's such an up and down, you know, um, business anyway. It's really nice to have someone to share it with to bounce off. Not just in terms of ideas, but also like the you know the the journey because it's it can be incredibly like depressing at times on your own and also inc you know incredibly exciting and if you're not in the music business it's really hard to completely sort of understand how that feels um at you may never understand it yeah you know uh, and so it's nice it really is nice um to have someone to kind of like weather the storms and uh and pop the champagne corks with. I think that's uh one of my friends recently who goes out with Rick and I a lot, who's nothing to do with music, uh, said that when we first went into business, we used to celebrate everything. So we knew nobody, we had no cuts, we had n no one even to talk to. But we'd come up to London and meet anybody, and we'd go home and it would be celebrating, we'd be buying drinks at the bar. It's like, guys, you, you know, you don't celebrate anything anymore. And I sort of thought, yeah. And I think that's. I think the point of having someone by your side the whole time is it makes the highs better and it makes the lows a lot more manageable. You know, you don't find yourself in a spiral too much. I, I to guess that wouldn't work if it didn't work creatively as well. Like, I think that that's, that's a rare thing. I saw another producer tweet the other day, oh man, like, editing vocals on your own gets really old. And I, I, I get that. Like, you know, if you've got kind of... Um, you know, got someone to share the work with. You know, as long as you're um, on the same page creatively, I think it's a massive, massive plus. The other thing I find is when we have an artist in the room. What's quite nice is that because we're two, the artist swings the balance of ideas. You know, so you never really have arguments in that way. Or you know, it can it, it sometimes you know songs can take a different turn because of the way that kind of that you know th those relationships work whereas I think if it was just one of you writing with an artist then you've you've almost like got a natural kind of like battle set up do you know what I mean and uh, it's nice that it's more of a pendulum with with three people mm. do you find you have to be quite brutally honest sometimes with each other always honest yeah, yeah. is it better I think I imagine it's probably better to be honest in the long run I mean very occasionally and we've both said it you'll go with an idea that you're not quite sure of because it might lead to another idea so and if you haven't got anything better to bring to the table then 
it's better to try and involve someone else's idea than just shoot it down and end up with a sort of negative feel about the whole thing. Um, but we're fairly honest with each other. I think you get to the point, like, you know, we're, we're pretty much family, like, and uh, you're really brutally honest with your family, uh, but you don't fall out with them, you know, I think. But there's a sense of, like, you know the other person so well that I almost know that George is not going to like an idea and so I kind of like work out ways to, to sort of <laughs> soften the blow I'll be like hey um, so I know you don't really like this but how about we just try it you, do you know what I mean you kind of work out ways to try and um, sugarcoat it but it's funny no it, it, it you know I think we said ages ago like best idea wins and that's always how it should be you know like the best idea wins and some days your ideas aren't the best and other days they might be which is difficult to admit a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Do you, do you, do you ha- have you had conflict at all? Mm, no, no, very rarely. That's pretty good. We'll have like a like a disagreement in a in a session where, for us, it's a massive argument, pretty much, and most people wouldn't even notice it. But yeah, you know, yeah. I'll be like, you know, that I'm not sure that that shaker pat. It's usually shaker pat. It's, <laughs> <how, laughs> it's really irrelevant stuff. Hi hats or shakers. Really, no, right. honestly, God, it is. Like, don't accent, don't accent every other one, please. Off the beat, off the beat, and yeah, yeah. So, no. so you know, if I'm in the booth, he'll be, uh, and I'm shaking. He'll be telling me, he'll tell me to do both ways. I've always, I've noticed this now. He'll tell me to do it my way and then his way, and then when I listen back, oh, God, it's definitely not the way I did it. <laughs> hey, I'm driving. Just him delete. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, yeah. What's it? What's it like? Um, writing together in terms of when you there are, isn't an artist there what do you what do you do what what does the session look like how do you start uh used to be very much that i was lyrics and rick was music and melody um i think as we've grown up songwriting wise together we both do everything now um usually and i at the <laughs> beginning will be Right, which song are we going to steal today? <laughs> <laughs> what was the latest one? No, I can't remember. We don't, we don't it's always steal. a blend. Borrowing, always, always three. Always three. And it's not stealing, it's um, influences. Referencing, that was it. It's but like, if you, you know, those, those words. If you, I like looking at it like we, we said this when we first started. It's like a Venn diagram, right? If you take three cir- circles and try and make the, the, the circles, so the circles of song, right, different, so they're not from the same genres or they're not particularly in the same thing. and then where they intersect you work out like you know what are the good bits that little middle section that's something new and I think that if people are honest about creativity that's what it is like you know the last original chord progressions written in the middle ages so we're not going to suddenly come up with some new chords tomorrow um, you know we're not really going to come up um, with anything radically different sound-wise to what we've heard and absorbed and put our own twist on and that's what you know pop music is it's a constant kind of melting pot of ideas and so I think that when you're writing songs um, particularly when you know like us we're trying to do it for a living so you've got to do it day in day out you can't just wait until you have a sort of eureka moment aha I have it Sometimes it takes a little bit of coaxing out and looking in that little middle spot in the in the Venn diagram I think is a really um, is a good starting point often and 
quite often it leads you somewhere completely different. So you start off, you know, um, thinking you're completely ripping a track off, and by the time you finished, it's nothing like. It's hardly got any of it sampled in it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know, there's a there's definitely something to be said for looking at what worked about other tracks, you know, tracks that you really like, tracks that you know, A and R's you know who are setting the brief really like you go well what's great about that and what you know why why did that work and how can we kind of get that feeling from the track but put our own spin on it or you know make it more contemporary and um that's that's a big part of it i don't i don't think a lot of people um readily acknowledge it because it you know you sort of there's a pressure to be you know original but i think that originality is your interpretation of um, you know stuff that you've heard. And in terms of actual the the uh, the songwriting process, concepts usually a really good place to start. Someone's got a really good concept that could drive how this, how we're going to write this, the music around it. Um, lyrics are usually last. Yeah, that's massive melody. I used to think that that was bollocks. I used to think that. I read an interview with Peter Gabriel where he said that you know he spent about three months coming up with concepts for a record, and then once he had the concepts, the music would usually just take a couple of days. And I used to think nonsense. It's the music that takes the long time to build, and you know the studio time and all the you know the production that that takes hours. But the more that I've done it, the more I realise that the production and the and the the, the bit that sounds difficult. Um, comes really really easily if the concept and the core parts of the song are like sound uh, and I think that that's that was a massive um, kind of like discovery for me. My girlfriend won't pick out if a snare drum doesn't sound right but she will pick out if the lyrics don't grab her so she'll quite happily tell me that it's crap lyrics but she hardly ever she'll never ever pick out if a snare drum's out of phase or if it, you know I think that yeah, that's a particular kind of producer writer problem. It's like we spend hours and hours agonising over tiny little decisions about the, the musical aspects of a track, which are really just nuances to the listener. They you know they're not actually consciously. Most people don't know the difference between a hi hat and a snare drum, for example. And like so, you know, for us musos, we're all like, oh yeah, make the snare fat, and but people. Are they they're more they're feeling it, but they're not really listening to it. So you've got to remember that when you're when you're you know creating a piece of music, you know it's it's about the the general emotion that the song conveys rather than the the, the sort of individual parts. Once you've got the concept, what what do you do? Um, try and find some chords that haven't been used. So it's <laughs> usually a one there and then a T. That's usually works. So four chords usually. It's it, it, I mean chords are an important part of it, but sometimes it can be like a it can be a groove, or like a sound. You know, like you take something that gets people in the room revved up. You know, oh that's really cool. I really like that. Or I'm hearing something over this, and that can that that's that's the moment that um, you're looking for in a writing session. Like that moment where suddenly everybody goes, oh that could be something. You know, and until that point, what did Say you're, circling, you're circling the airport, waiting for somewhere to land. Yeah, we did. Um, I recently did a session with Ed uh, Druitt, who's obviously been here before. And um, you know, we we went through loads and loads of different things, loads of like tracks we had started, uh, ideas, you know, things that we tried to sort of force and didn't happen. And then we just started playing the ukulele, and he suddenly went, 
that. Well, that, and then the song just sort of fell out of EP. He wrote the whole song and the idea for it in ten minutes, kind of thing, and then agonised over it for a, for a day. And but you know, it was all from that initial start of hearing something that inspired him. So different writers work in different ways. We sometimes when it's too quick, it frightens me a bit. You know, like sometimes someone will go. Oh, I really love that, and I'm like, well, hang on, we've only just started. You know, I haven't drawn my tea yet. <laughs> you know, and that kind of worries me a bit. You know, at I think you need a little bit of pain in the process. Do, do you find that maybe one, just one person feels it, but the rest of the other people they don't? Or is that is that the kind of circumstance you're talking about? Well, I think of? that that's a bad situation because yeah. the another good thing about having lots of people in the room. I mean, it's got its own problems, but like to get a song to the point where four people are liking it, your odds are greater that like more people are going to like it in the outside world you know like I can create something that I think is amazing and if George thinks it's rubbish you know like that that instantly rules out like 50% <laughs> of the record buying population you know it, like if you scale up the figures yeah. and uh, and so yeah no it's really important but there's a lot of people who can't it. hear past an idea we work with lots and lots of people who you start an idea with and you can tell they're not really feeling it and then once it gets back to them all mixed and sounding massive, suddenly they're you know biggest fans of the of the record. Different people. It's difficult, yeah. That, that that's that's I, I think that's where the sort of like that's the dark art of producer writing is that sometimes, particularly with a track that's not particularly based around like the, I guess like the more sort of um what I call contemporary tracks, they're very production-led, you know, and, and like if you tried to play it on an acoustic guitar and so just imagine I chop up my vocal here and then do this and then ver verify it and, you know, put it through, a, you know, an auto-tune plug-in here, it'll sound really great. And some people can't imagine that and so the production then becomes a hugely important part of, part of that song. And, and yeah, different people have different levels of being able to visualize how it's going to turn out than, than other people. What, what, what would you say are the differences when writing amongst yourselves and when maybe bringing a top liner in or an artist? Are there differences? Yeah, but I mean hugely, but they do, I think they're all case to case basis. Some, some people we can write around them. If someone's struggling in the room we'll help them with whatever they need to do. Some people just they want to write a top line over a bit of music so we're happy to just sit there and be track guys and just sort of aid the process it's all about how a certain person reacts to the situation the idea at the end of the day is to get the best song you possibly can so whatever aids that process quickest is whatever we have to do I think another hugely important thing is that um, you can't play your A game every day you can't you're never ever going to go into the studio every day and write the best song you've ever written it, it's just it doesn't happen and so when you've got other people particularly some you know people that you get on with creatively um, they can then be sources of inspiration that you would never have had uh, you know normally you know they bring different ideas in they play something they say oh, I'm really liking this and you haven't heard it and that you know that's a that's a massive thing because it can it can kind of help you out if you're dark days and then likewise you know some days someone might come into there and not feeling very inspired and we've got a cracky idea and it helps them it inspires them and I think that that's what it's about really I think that that's what collaboration is about and should be about it's it's about um, 
you know, uh, being able to have a kind of like a consistency of quality of work because you could never sustain that on your own. Or, you know, I don't, it'd be really hard to, really hard. There has been times when people have done nothing. Not you. (laughs) (laughs) What artists and top liners? Uh, Just, yeah, people that are in a room with. Happens very rarely because I think that if you aren't as good as you pretend you are then you get shown up eventually I think that well that that's actually probably one of the nice things about um, signing to Warners is that the level of people that you're collaborating with goes up and you know even um, you say that but they signed up like, oh. <laughs> we managed to slip through the mesh <laughs> but you know you get I think that's you know early on we might have had some sessions where you know you you draw a bit of bad day. Everybody has their bad days. Everyone has their off days, and you can't. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be amazing tomorrow. What would you say um, is the most important thing when you hear a song? What are you listening out for? The melody line, lyrics, maybe the rhythm and the beat. What? What? I know you're both individuals, really. So we're complete opposite as well. Are you really? Yeah. Go on. Yeah, I listen out for a lyric. I love lyrics. Totally. So I guess the concept and how yeah. the lyrics are put over. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you're. I've, I've no, I've been converted to the dark side. I used to think that, <laughs> cause, especially because like we're quite heavily focused on pop music. I used to think that with a great melody, you could pretty much sing any old shit, and um, and it would the the great melody and great track would make it okay. But I do. I have to confess that um, I, I've converted a bit to that. There must be a good lyric and a good concept. Not always though. I mean, you can. There's some, there's some, get away with there's it some pretty dumb lyrics out there. Like that if you're today. really, you know, listen to it. Yeah, harsh. You know, when you're criticising it, you know, it's, it, they're pretty average, but they're very successful songs. But be so it's not always money. it's not always the lyric that makes it great. But in answer to your question, that's what the song that springs to mind is the script song, um, "Break Even." When he says, "What am I supposed to do?" When the best part of me is always you. And I heard that and went, "Bastard." That is such a great line. I great wish line. I'd written that. Great one. melody as well. So, yeah. yeah, it ticks both boxes. Both I, I was going to say, who do you think is doing it well? But you find Yeah, I mean, I used to love like Eminem. I always thought it was amazing with words as well. You know, uh, really, you, they don't need to be sung. Yeah, words for me. Hmm. And I guess you've been converted then to, to words yourself. Yeah. What were you before then? I, yeah, I just used to. I used to listen for. Uh, sounds that really inspired me like did, yeah I, I used to go oh I love that synth sound or bass mm. sound or guitar sound or whatever it was and and oh, I mean always melody you know because like, for me like the, the the tune is kind of like is kind of king and, and like coming from a pr- production background everything kind of or should I think hang off the the vocal melody um but um no I I, I do agree it has to be it, everything it's you know that's what you're striving for don't always get there, but it should be. What, what, would, what, would, what did you listen to growing up, obviously, when you were little? What did your parents listen to, or f- family or siblings or friends expose you to? Bizarrely, I don't remember anything my parents really listened to. Are they, are they musical? Yeah. Are they interested <coughs> in music? Yeah, my dad, my dad plays a pantomime dame. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. He does. One yeah. dame of the South, uh, three years in a row. Um, that's not a lie. Um, but I can't remember what they used to listen to musically. I remember, <laughs> I remember Vanilla Ice, and I remember Nelly the Elephant. Yeah. <laughs> my my dad was massively important in, to, I, I guess, to me musically. Like he introduced me to some 
uh, absolutely amazing records, stuff that you know that I still love probably more than anything else. You know, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley, all through my dad, The, the Who, um, just great classic records. You know, he introduced me to the, you know the Rolling Stones, even weird stuff like kind of Captain Beefheart, and, you know, like proper crazy stuff. My dad, he's, he loved he loved his music. So um, having said that, Gary Moore, I just want my if my dad was listening now, he'd be having a go at me. Gary Moore used to force us to listen to it. Has that kind of worked out in your music? Any in, in when you were kind of writing before you were a triangle? Did that um, any of those influences? No, I was like hip hop. Loved hip hop. Loved sort of West Coast rap, gangster uh-huh. rap was what I listened to day in day out. Is that what you did with your artist? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, like middle rap. class, in Christchurch, <laughs> yeah. I could have tried. Possibly, in fact, yeah. I did try. Yeah, but you'd never yeah. hear those. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, that was kind of. I think that's where maybe I learned to appreciate lyrics. You know, because um, that's what you know. There's a lot of those songs are all about. Definitely. And the flow is really important. Like the flow from uh, like sort of hip hop and that kind of stuff is really important in pop music. Even if you're not, you know, even if it's not rap anymore, taking that flow and, and putting it to melody is, is massively important. In and Rick music. was more into rock. Yeah, I mean, it, that's, that's kind of where it, start, where it started off. We had this conversation the other day, like, when you're, when you're a teenager, you're really self-conscious about music. I think you have to specialise as a teenager. You can't ever just go, oh, I really like everything. Like, I was like, yeah, I like um, LA hardcore or something like that. Or, like, I like um, Californian skate punk. And that, you know, you really nail your colours to the mask. But secretly, I was like, I really like that Torn song by mm. Natalie and Bruno. We both bought that. <laughs> we admitted that to each other the other day. <laughs> so I think that you, like, being a teenager does weird things to you because you, like, you're still loving like pop music, but you sort of feel the need to kind of spurn it. Uh, yeah, I think we cross over on things like Sublime and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, where you've got the rock kind of meets the hip hop. Yeah. They're both no. quite cool as well, I suppose. Yeah. You know, no, right. well, they were. Are the I was a skater. Still cool? Maybe not. And when he goes on radio too. I was a skater, but I, he was a really good skater. I was a very bad skater. Was that? Pretty average. You were pretty good. Well, I never actually watched you skate, but I can imagine you were pretty good. Better than me. I used to fall over. You've a got lot. a big body. You could put a half pipe in it and find out. Yeah, the old studio had a half pipe. Oh wow! The new one doesn't. Sorry, oh. folks. No. Yeah. It's not a selling point then. <laughs> no, it's not. Never used it though. So you've three years down the line. What's been your best moment working together? Signing for Warner Chapel uh, Music Publishing Incorporated. Sweet. It, it genuinely um, was. Because I think that when you... Uh, here's the thing, right? When yeah. you're trying to be an artist your whole life, like you, the, the thing that like motivates you, and you soon learn the area of your ways, is that elusive record deal? You're like, oh, I just want to be. I just want to sign that piece of paper. I would have signed anything, you know, as an artist. I was just like, oh yeah, I just want to be signed. I just want someone to validate the fact that I don't, you know, that I'm not completely wasting my time here. And you know, lots of stuff happens. You roll, you know, you know a few years down the line, and uh, signing to Warner Chapel was a big moment because it kind of is like that. Ultimately, it's like you guys are quite reasonably good at what you do and you know it's the closest we'll get to a record deal it's as close as you get to a record deal yeah it's amazing you're not doing too badly well done hearing your songs on radio is quite nice as well that's always that's always nice but I guess by the time you 
the trouble is, by the time it gets to that point, you've been through so so much, because like it's so hard. You, you know, you have a song, and then you know someone says they like it, and then like another eight people have to say they like it, and then you know a video has to get made, and the, you know then some people have to decide whether it's going to get played on radio, and if that doesn't happen, it's back to the you know. So by the time it's actually on radio, you're kind of like oh, you know, I just I don't know. The first song we ever really had cut uh, was we we, we <laughs> this is the, this is the problem we sort of you know totally naive about it not you know having really done any of this before we were kind of producing more than we were writing and then we saw an email from Simon Cow about a track we'd done saying we want like this song is brilliant this one let's cut it straight away for One Direction and we were like wow I think that moment when you you can't foresee what is inevitably about to happen and you there since then learnt is probably going to happen. Yeah. You go, oh my god, this is it! Like it's like someone's told you you've won the lottery, but it's they're just going to check the light, the last two numbers. And I think that you go through that. Obviously, the song <laughs> got, didn't get on the album, and you go through that pain and oh, it's yeah. so horrible. But then heartbreak's always worse the first time, though. After a little while, you get hardened to it. Yeah. But also, you don't feel like you did when you first got that feeling of, yeah, we're going. That's true. You never get as excited as the first one, even if it didn't happen. But that, I jumped about six feet in the air when I found that out. We well, I almost <laughs> bought a boat. I was like, we Bye. <laughs> I might as well write the check now. We went and got drunk in the morning. <laughs> In celebrating, the yeah, celebrating anything because you, I think what I've learned about this is you have to celebrate everything because because there's so many times that someone will say something, and it's it's good, but you know in the, in your heart of hearts that it probably won't happen or something's going to go wrong with it or this song might not make it, but at that point it's going to happen. Better to be happy about everything so than happy about nothing. You should take the chance to celebrate every part of it because then you're always celebrating. You can always commiserate, but no one can take the day that you celebrate it back from you you mm. might have a really good day and no one gets into music to like just have a kind of average life you know you get into music because you want kind of fireworks and like mad shit happening and boats <laughs> that's good and boats yeah <laughs> we like boats well, you live by the beach I can understand we do we bought a boat last year um, first we've been wanting one for ever and we bought the first boat you two yeah 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 and it's a little speedboat that most people, in fact, every single person who's come down and we've offered a trip on has said no. What? <laughs> it's so dangerous. It's um, a fun thing. But it's awesome. We like it a lot. What's been, uh, what song are you most proud of? Oh, that's like saying, what's your favourite child? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, you can't, but you can never give an answer <laughs> to that. You always love all your kids, no matter what their deformities are. I think we've got an answer over here. No, I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to think trying, while you were giving stalling. you a big speech. <laughs> <We've> yeah, <laughs> I know. It's this one. <laughs> we said that outside. You stole, I think. Actually, no. you know what? I'm going to give her like a, it's a... It's a bit of a like a... a, a cop-out. Cop-out answer. But I'm going to give... I'm going to say it anyway because I think it's important. Um, you... Because like the business is success-driven, right? You're programmed to like your most successful songs. Whereas like... It's what I think's good to hold on to is that moment in the studio where you're all completely loving it before the A and R said no, we don't like it. <laughs> like it's always important to remember that moment when you're like, this is the best song ever. Like we're all going to be millionaires tomorrow. And so I think that that that's like a good thing to hold on to with songs and don't fall into like, oh well, that's our most successful song, so therefore it's our favourite. Yeah, my favourite is a song I wrote for my friend called "He's Never Ever Going to Get Laid." 
<laughs> so similar lines, I guess. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> well, Rachangle, thanks very much for coming to speak to us. You're so very much. welcome. It's been a real pleasure having you. It's been a good laugh. So if anyone takes one shred of good information <laughs> from this, I'll be amazed. Possibly the easiest interview I've done yet. I didn't even have to ask a question in the second half. These guys just go to show that if you've got the talent and the right approach to music, that geography doesn't matter and people make the effort to come to you. As always, thanks for listening and until next time. <laughs>